So I had this uh, funeral that I did, um, I guess it was about 15 years ago. It was in a previous parish. Uh, and it was for uh, this guy from, from the parish who was, uh, it was a big funeral, very well-known, very respected guy, very uh, active in the, in the parish. I think he was about 75 or so. He, he died of cancer. And he had a kind of an interesting life, or almost lives. He had kind of, it was almost like he had two lives, um, part one and part two. Uh, part one was kind of dark. He uh, battled all kinds of addictions uh, in his youth, um, drink and drugs. He was very, uh, very involved with, uh, gambling. And he uh, came from a really pretty crazy family. Father was uh, a drinker, uh, was also very absent. He, uh, poor mom, I think the impression I got, the way he used to talk about her, is that she was just probably not a bad person, but just kind of overwhelmed, raising kids on her own, didn't have a lot of money. The father was arrested a couple of times throughout. Um, it was kind of a mess. And uh, anyway, eventually he got married. Had a couple of kids, uh, not in that order, and um, kind of became as much of a, a mess as his father. He was drinking a lot, um, drug use. Eventually, she kicked him out, um, and then he went through this very, very dark period where he just was uh, just out of control with, with, with drug use and, and drink. Eventually, got sober. Um, not right away, you know, he several attempts at, at drying out and detox, but eventually he got it, eventually he beat it. And then just kind of turned his life around. Um, and he was very open. I mean, the reason I know all this was he told us all. He was very open about his past. Um, and then he put his life back together. Eventually met, met a girl, a great woman who um, he married, had a couple of kids with. And then it had part two, just was this great life, this great kind of meaningful, inspiring life. Um, well, I was the guy I knew. I didn't know part one. I only knew this older man who was kind of loved by everybody. So anyway, at the funeral, I remember talking about part one. I talked about how he, his first half of his life was, was not, not great. Um, but then talked about really just redemption, how he turned it around. Um, he got a do-over, and he did it. Um, during part two, you know, those redemption years, uh, he'd made attempts to reach out to his first family, who he had really had nothing to do with for a bunch of years. And he had mixed results there. Um, I think they were pretty banged up. These were, they were now adults themselves, and you know, because of his absence and the dysfunction of their family, a number of his kids were, had their own struggles. But I think more or less they kind of reconciled with him. They were at the funeral. All were at the funeral but one. Uh, his oldest son wasn't there, and I had heard about him. I had never met him. Um, he wanted nothing to do with him. The father had tried to reach out over the years, but he just kind of slapped it away. Uh, wanted nothing to do with him. 
He didn't go to the funeral, but uh, he must have had a spy because he, he heard about what I said at the funeral, and he wasn't happy about it. And he asked to meet with me. We had an appointment. You know, we met up, and um, he was just upset. He was upset that I spoke in a positive way about his father. And I, you know, I got it. He had, he had little, no positive experience of his father, but that wasn't the whole picture. Um, part two was significant, and he just, uh, that's what I tried to focus on. That's what I tried to, the message I tried to communicate. And he just wanted, he wanted, no, he didn't want to hear it. Um, and I'm telling you, I acknowledged in the funeral that he made mistakes and he had regrets because he did and he didn't run from them. He didn't make little of them. But this guy, this now adult son, just wasn't buying it, wasn't hearing it. He knew it was a fact. He knew he, he, knew he improved his life. But he just had no place, I guess, in his heart for, for forgiving him. Um, it's this gospel, I think. It's kind of what I think this gospel is about. Now, why is Jesus three times saying, asking the same question in a matter of seconds? Like, is he not hearing him? Of course he can hear him. Why is it, why three times? Is, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, we know why, because three times he denied him. And he wants him to remember it. Not to rub it in his face, not to make him feel terrible. I mean, we know people probably like that who have this ability to sort of always remember something you'd like to forget. They bring up something from the past periodically, and it's like, yeah, okay, that was yesterday. It was more than yesterday. Why do you, why do you keep bringing that back? They're just good at it, kind of reminding you of something you wish you could forget. Well, that wasn't what he was saying or doing here. Jesus, I don't think. Because it's the next thing. He goes, do you love me? Jesus, Peter goes, yes, I do. And then the next thing he says is, then go feed my sheep. And he says it again, and he says it again. He's not rubbing it in anybody's face. What he's saying to Peter is, hey, get back to work. Yeah, I know. I know you, I know you screwed things up. I know things aren't the way they, we wish they were different. It'd be nice if you didn't have this chapter in your past. But it's the past. So get back to work. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Like, in other words, I'm not done with you. I'm not giving up on who you are. I think it's all about getting do-overs. God never fires us. Sometimes we quit. Sometimes we convince ourselves God is done with us. Sometimes we might hear from other people telling us that God is done with us, but you're never going to hear that from God because it's not the way God operates. How do we know that? This gospel. He doesn't fire the apostles. He doesn't fire Peter. He says, go get back to work. Pick up where I, where I left off. And yeah, I know. You don't, I know you made mistakes. I know you denied me, but that's not the point. The point is the work to be done, the mission. It's all about redemption. You know, I was thinking this. Can you, can you imagine this scenario? You have 
down at the boardwalk, say, Tiger Woods is there, uh, Robert Downey Jr., the actor, he's there, Peter's there, and the guy whose funeral I did was there. They're all together. They're all going for a stroll, stroll on the boardwalk. You know Robert Downey's story? Like the number of times he battled drugs, the number of times he was in and out of detox. We know Tiger Woods' situation, his story. Professionally, we know. We know about his personal life. We know Peter's story. And we even know the guy who I told you about, his story. You know what they wouldn't be talking about? Golf, or acting, or fishing. They'd probably be talking about, yeah, I, I know what redemption is about. I know what second chances mean. I got one. I got my life back. I rescued my life. They'd be talking redemption. And you know what I think? I think sometimes our culture sort of, we've, we've, we've mixed it up. We've got certain values that we've forgotten about and these sort of twisted values we, we kind of promote. It's like standards. Doesn't it seem like in so many areas we've, we've, just, we, we've given up on standards and expectations? When somebody sort of doesn't achieve something, then we just move the goalpost. And now we say, yeah, you did achieve. Well, no, you didn't. You didn't pass the test. You didn't pass the course. Well, we're going to lower the failing grade, so now you did. Or, or some, some aspect of that. We don't hold people to accountability. We don't say, wait a minute, you're better than this. You're capable of, of better than, you don't, don't compare yourself to every slob around you, to the left or right of you, because you're much more than that. So no, I'm not going to lower this standard. I'm not saying you're always going to you're get about a thousand. I'm not saying you, you're going to make no mistakes. But I'm not moving the goalposts. Sometimes you can't move them, because they're just true, and they're forever, and they're possible. But we don't seem to do that. We just, we just redefine stuff. Well, that's not a good thing. But then here's the flip side of it, where I think we've kind of gone off the rails. When people make mistakes, especially kind of like in a pu public context, we have no mercy. There's no, there's no tolerance. They're done. They're forever gone. Somebody in a, uh, says, says something. Something terrible, something wrong, something offensive, but they say it publicly, and they're done. They're fired forever. Like, there's no sense of, like, okay, what was this person's history? Did they ever say that before or communicate that? No, not really at all. doesn't matter. They said it once, they're done. Like, no mercy. Well, that seems to be as problematic as the first trend. No mercy and no standards. Seems to me both of them are troubling. You know, over at Hofstra, you probably read about or maybe heard about the, uh, the story not too long ago at Hofstra. There's a big statue of Thomas Jefferson right on campus. It's great. I used to work over there. It's a really cool um, statue. Anyway, there's a group of students that are looking, uh, petitioning to have it removed because it's Jefferson, because he owned slaves. And because he didn't 
Many would say do enough or anything. Some would say to, to end slavery. Well, that's true. He did own them, and that was terrible. Shameful. It was also 250 years ago. It was 250 years ago. Like, it was a different time. It was a different culture. People saw things in a different light. Does that mean it wasn't wrong? Of course not. Was it as wrong then as it, as it would be today? Of course. But it was a different time. So we just, we just, we just eliminate his memory. Or some would say, I mean, I think anybody who has a minimal handle on American history would say that if it weren't for Jefferson, we wouldn't be at our best, we wouldn't remotely be who we are. Because he was the architect of more than the Declaration of Independence. He had a huge impact on what makes us a great country. He did great things. Yeah, a flawed man did great things. He was a product of his time and a culture. And I just think it's a dangerous thing when we start, and an unfair thing, if we just say, I'm going to judge, judge history based on only the mo a modern lens. And we're probably all in trouble if that's the way we go. Look at, let's look at our own lives. If you're old enough, aren't there things from your past that you wish you wish you had done differently? I mean, aren't there some things you like, you know, you look back on and you're like, yeah, I, I can't believe I, I thought maybe that was sort of okay, and now I look and I'm like, oh, that wasn't okay. I can't believe I was allowed myself to get in this situation or be part of a, a certain group. Now, in retrospect, that was like terrible. Why was I laughing along at that? That wasn't funny. Why didn't I speak up and object to something that was objectionable and I didn't? I wish I, had been, I wish I had done it differently. I mean, that's all of us. And I'm kind of glad I didn't have, when I was in college, they didn't have cell phones and cameras on cell phones. Think of some of all the stupid pictures that were taken over the years. Now people go for job interviews and these embarrassing images show up from somebody's not too distant past. hey, there's, we, there's all things we'd like to do different. Hopefully not an awful lot, hopefully not horrible stuff, but I just think if, if the good that a person has done is completely erased because of something in their past, I don't think that's fair, I don't think that's realistic, and I don't think it's Jesus. It's not this gospel. If it was then Peter goes back to fishing after denying him. He's not telling him to go feed sheep and to tend to lambs and sheep. He's saying, go get back in the boat. I'm done with you. Go, go find your old life. But he doesn't do that. He becomes a saint. Peter goes from denying to proclaiming. They said to him in this first reading, don't mention his name. Stop talking about him. And he's like, no, 
I'm going to mention his name, and I'm going to talk about him. You keep doing that, and we'll shut you up. We'll do what you have to do, but I'm not going to stop. None of that happens if Peter goes back to fishing. Peter goes back to fishing if Jesus doesn't give him a second shot. If Jesus cut down his statue, there'd be no St. Peter. And listen, I'm not diminishing serious sin. I'm not making light of slavery or a guy who abandons his family and the damage done by that. That's not nothing. That's a lot. But it's also forgivable. And how do we know that? This morning's gospel. Because we hear from this God of second chances. It's about getting them and giving them. 